Welcome to the morning community of Northridge Vineyard. Our deepest desire is that you will encounter Jesus as you listen in to our morning gathering. If you'd like to find out more about us, check out our website, northridge.org.au forward slash mornings. We're going to continue our series this morning on David. Over the last few weeks, we've been looking at the life of David and and in particular, we just we wanted to have a look at some of the different relationships that are going on in David's life and how he um, how he interacts with different kind of key characters. Um, and I just wanted to thank JV Jonathan. I don't know if he's here this morning. For he he looked at uh, David and Bathsheba um, and and Nathan last week and and uh, just did that very sensitively and beautifully. Um, and there you are. Good on you, mate. Um, and uh, we're going to continue um, this morning. And, and I just I wanted to say why we're looking, particularly this morning, we're going to look at David's sons, his interaction with his sons. Um, and, and one of the reasons we're going to do this is often when we think of David, we think of battles, <laughs> we think of conquest, uh, when we get to the New Testament, he is the poster boy of the Israel nation. You know, he's, he's the kind of dream king that they look back on. And, and so much of what's written about Jesus is he's David's son. You know, he's David's descendant. And so um, sometimes we, we can kind of almost put David up there um, for all that he does, all that he accomplishes in, on, in an external way. But... Uh, you know, the truth is when we look at our families, look at family life, when we look at how do we treat those who love us and know us the best, that's a real measure of the, 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 the kingdom of God and how much it's gripped us. Uh, for me, this is, this is personal. I, I, I have come from a, growing up in a family um, where both my parents met the Lord when they were young. Uh, and, and they married. They had four children. I'm the youngest of four. Each of my um, brothers and sister, uh, I, I've got two brothers and sister. Each of them uh, know and love the Lord, and they've married folk who love Jesus too. And so my parents have 13 heritage. But, but I don't say that because I'm, I, there's something in heritage. But, but at the same time, you know, one of the most important things for me is that my children come to know the Lord and, and, and as their children are taught about God's love and about how he died for them and, and that they would embrace that and encounter Jesus. And it's so precious to me. So if I get a bit emotional this morning, it's just personal. And so when I look at David's life, um, and there is, you know, some wonderful stuff, but there's also some pretty hideous stuff going on in his family. And, um, and it's important that we look at it and we think about what is God's response, what is God's heart for family? And, uh, <clears throat> and does he understand how broken things can get? Or is he just, you know, like, is he just interested in those people that get it right? What does God think about all these things? Um, and so I, I, I want to, before we get into our first reading, we're going to, uh, forgive me, we're going to jump around over three different chapters. So if you, if you uh, have a physical Bible, uh, it's quite handy to have that open. It might be quicker. But if you bring up your device, um, we're going to look at first, um, we're going to look at 2 Samuel chapter 13. 
Uh, we're going to look at then chapter 15 and then chapter 18 because I want to get a sense of life, but there'll be a fair amount of reading. So just bear with me. Let me encourage you to be attentive to what the Word is saying this morning. It's very easy to switch off, uh, think about what's happening through the rest of the day, but let's just focus our hearts and minds. I want your heart that for us now as we, as we get into it. But also, can I encourage you to discard your heart this morning? We're going to look at a passage first off that um, is an account of terrible sexual sin from within David's own family. And uh, you uh, just I really want to acknowledge that it may trigger things for you and give you the permission, if you need to at any point, just to step out, take, take a moment. Please feel free to do that. No one's going to be worried about that. Uh, because there's some really horrific stuff in the Bible. You know, we often say to our kids, it's like R-rated, this thing. You know, just be careful. Um, because it, there's, it's real. The Bible doesn't, isn't ashamed of putting the light on things that happen in the dark places. Yeah, um, but that doesn't mean we need to just guard our hearts. So can I encourage you to do that? Will you pray with me? I just want to pray for those things. Lord, we thank you for your word. We, we just pray that you would uh, guard us, Lord, this morning. You know our hearts better than we do. So we pray that you would uh, speak the things that you want to speak and you would silence the enemy, even as we listen to your word. Lord, we, we just ask that you'd, you'd um, yeah, reveal what's on your heart for us this morning. In Jesus' name. Open up. Amen. Okay, so um, we're going to open up at 2 Samuel chapter 13. The verses should come up on uh, the screens. And we're going to read um, 1 through to 22. In the course of time, Amnon, son of David, fell in love with Tamar, the beautiful sister of Absalom, son of David. Amnon became frustrated to the point of illness on account of his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin and it seemed impossible for him to do anything to her. Now Amnon had a friend named Jonadab, son of Shemir, David's brother. Jonadab was a very shrewd man. He asked Amnon, why do you, the king's son, look so haggard morning after morning? Won't you tell me? Amnon said to him, I'm in love with Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Go to bed and pretend to be ill, Jonadab said. And when your father comes to see you, say to him, I would like my sister Tamar to come and give me something to eat. Let her prepare the food in my sight so that I may watch her and then eat from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. And when the king came to see him, Amnon said to him, I would like my sister Tamar to come and make some special bread in my sight so that I may eat from her hand. And David sent word to Tamar at the palace, go to the house of your brother Amnon and prepare some food for him. So Tamar went to the house of her brother Amnon, who was lying down. She took some dough, kneaded it, made the bread in his sight and baked it. And then she took the pan and served him the bread, but he refused to eat. Send everyone out of here, Amnon said. So everyone left him. And then Amnon said to Tamar, bring the food here into my bedroom so that I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the bread she had prepared and brought it to her brother Amnon in his bedroom. But when she took it to him to eat, he grabbed her and said, come to bed with me, my sister. Don't, my brother, she said to him, don't force me. Such a thing should not be done in Israel. 
Don't do this wicked thing. What about me? Where could I get rid of my disgrace? And what about you? You would be like, the, like one of the wicked fools in Israel. Please speak to the king. He will not keep me from being married to you. But he refused to listen to her. And since he was stronger than she, he raped her. Then Amnon hated her with intense hatred. In fact, he hated her more than he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, get up and get out. No, she said to him, sending me away would be a greater wrong than what you have already done to me. But he refused to listen to her. He called his personal servant and said, get this woman out of here and bolt the door after her. So his servant put her out and bolted the door after her. And she was wearing a richly ornamented robe, for this was the kind of garment the virgin daughters of the king wore. Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the ornamented robe she was wearing. She put her hand on her head and went away, weeping aloud as she went. Her brother Absalom said to her, Has that Amnon, your brother, been with you? Be quiet now, my sister. He is your brother. Don't take this thing to heart. And Tamar lived in her brother Absalom's house, a desolate woman. And when King David heard all this, he was furious. And Absalom never said a word to Amnon, either good or bad. He hated Amnon because he had disgraced his sister Tamar. I just, again, I just want to acknowledge, guys, that in our current climate, in our culture, there, there is such a prevalence of domestic violence, sexual violence, uh, such a significant issue, even on the comfortable streets of the North Shore of Sydney. And I've been wrestling all week about whether to read this passage, and I just didn't want to. But I really felt the Lord wanting to say, I'm, um, I'm not silent on this. Um, you know, the, we keep hearing about pillars in our society, whether it be banks or churches or other institutions that just aren't, they're just, they've turned a blind eye to terrible sin. And they've not been swift in bringing wrongdoing to light. And uh, that's not God's heart. Amnon's terrible and evil actions tear at the very fabric of Tamar's future. It's not just one thing. You know, he, he not only rapes her, he steals her future as a married woman, which in her culture meant life for her. I, I hope you appreciate that. You know, it, it's a bit of a puzzling thing if we don't really understand that because he... What she says in response, you know, when he forced, forcibly sends her away instead of marrying her, she says, sending me away would be a greater wrong. And we can't imagine why would she want to ever stay with him. But at least, uh, you know, they had provision in law that she would at least be protected and provided for. Even in that terrible circumstance, she wouldn't be also destitute and never really be able to marry. Um, but he does something even worse. He sends her away. And these actions, they have far-reaching consequences across the royal family. You know, this context we're looking at is David's family. It's the royal family. And the, 
the, of the nation that are meant to be the, the people of God. I really appreciate Tamar's courage in, in this as she says to him, such a thing should not be done in Israel. You know? Perhaps in, her, in that time, it was almost more common in other cultures, but not in Israel. <laughs> so Tamar goes to live in Absalom's house, effectively as a widow, a bit like that. And... <clears throat> Even Absalom's words, they do nothing really to validate the grief and the injustice of the situation. But equally, there are seeds of bitterness sown into Absalom's heart. Um, So there's some, oh, what a mess. What a mess. And uh, like I say, I've wrestled with whether to to share that, but I want us to just understand that before we take a step back and look at David and his family. Because what does David do at the end of all of this? What is David's response? In verse 21, we're told, David, when King David heard all this, he was furious. But he seems to do nothing to deal with the injustice that's happened. He just seems to be angry, but that, that's as, as much as we hear. And as the story goes on, two years passes, and Absalom, uh, the, the bitterness and the revenge builds in his heart to the point where he then murders Amnon. And... You know, so there is this inactivity, there's this passivity in David that just doesn't lead in his family. You know, even as we understand that David's primary job as the king was to bring justice. That was one of his primary jobs. Later in, in, in 2 Samuel, we read about Absalom sitting at the city gate. We'll look at that a bit later. But, and 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 me, because David's saying, well, the king is not going to give you justice. I can give you justice. Because David isn't giving justice here. He should have honored Tamar. He really should have brought Tamar into his own house. And, let, and yet he leaves it for Absalom to do. He should have brought Amnon to justice. The law said that Amnon should have been stoned to death for what he did. And David, he's alive. Two years later, David doesn't seem to have done anything about it. Whatever his reason, David's inaction allows bitterness and revenge to fester. And um, it's heartbreaking. But what does God think about this? I just I want us to be careful when we look at David that we don't think that whatever David does is a reflection of what God thinks. Yes, David was a man after God's own heart, but he was human. And we have to be really careful not to put humans up to God's level. God isn't passive about justice for the oppressed. He isn't, he isn't a father who just uh, doesn't get around to doing something about it. He doesn't cover up sin to save face. He doesn't do that. And in fact, he, doesn't, he especially holds his children 
the church, the people of God. He holds us to a higher standard because we should know better. And uh, God, God cares. God sees. I want us to remember that. But one more thing before we move on. I, I do want us to just have a think about this idea of, of leadership. Because David, again, he is, he is a picture of leadership for us. He is the king. And externally, he does great things. And, and, and God commends him for that. But internally, there is a failure to leadership in his own family. And leaders, if you're a leader here today, can I encourage you before everyone else, if you have children, if you have people close to you who you love, lead them first. Before everyone else, lead those who see you in the inner place. And especially if you have children in your family, whether they're yours or your nieces or nephews or just within your friendship group, lead them. One of the keys to leading our children is that we have to have relationship with them. One of the things that strikes me about this passage is that Absalom doesn't go to David and say, we need justice in this situation. He doesn't, even though he goes home probably every day and he sees Tamar, weeping, broken woman, he doesn't go to David and say, where's justice? Why doesn't he do that? Could it be that David doesn't really build his relationship with his children as, as they grow up? That he isn't accessible to his own children? I don't, we don't really know. But that's a, that is a lesson for us. If we are to lead our children, then we must build relationship with them. And can I say, especially to fathers, guys, we've got to be there. We've got to figure that out. We've got to build relationship with our children. Could David avoid so much of this? Has he done that? I'm sorry to get heavy on you, but it's a heavy passage, right? We're going to move on and see some things that David did do well. As, um, as things go, like I said, two years later, we find Absalom... He, the revenge builds in his heart. He, uh, he murders uh, his brother Amnon. And then he runs away. He runs from David. In fact, he runs to his grandfather, his own mother's father, who is the king of uh, Geshur. And over time, uh, David's heart softens and he weeps for his son Amnon. And eventually he calls back Absalom, and, uh, and it seems like that's a good thing, but then Absalom starts to devise a plan. Because what he does is he sets up a stall, if you like, on the roadside to the city gate. And he intercepts people who are coming to the city before the king in, with a case, with a complaint. And he, he says, look, no doubt your claim is just, but there isn't anyone who's going to listen to you. So if only, if only there was someone, maybe like me, 
If only someone like me was able to hear your case, was to bring justice in Israel. Wouldn't that be good? And so he starts to speak conspiracy. And he starts to butter up people. He starts to win people over onto his, onto his side. And gradually, bit by bit by bit, he uh, gets to a point where he actually takes the bold step to proclaim himself as king over Israel. And he, he kind of gets all the right people uh, because politics hasn't changed that much over the many generations. He gets all the right people to give him the right, you know, the words. He gets them up on the podium and everyone goes, oh, okay, he must be the next king. And they forget that God has appointed David. And so he wins the people over. Uh, we read, uh, let me see. Yeah, so he, so he wins the people over and, he, and uh, there is this moment where uh, we hear that Absalom has won the hearts of the people over and suddenly David thinks, oh no, we've got to flee. This is it. There's that moment in his mind where he suddenly realizes the trouble that he's in. Um, and, you know... One of the things that we, we see is how David reacts as he flees in fear of Absalom. And I think this is really interesting. I want us just to turn to chapter 15 uh, and read verse 24. Here we go. Before we do that, um, so David has taken all of... Um, taken pretty much his whole royal family that's in the palace, but he's left... Uh, a few of his concubines behind. That's another conversation for another day. Um, <laughs> so much mess. Um, and we read, sorry, yeah, so we read this, verse 24 of chapter 15. Uh, Zadok, who is the high priest, was there too, and all the Levites who were with him carrying the ark of the covenant of God. And they set down the ark of God, and Abiathar, offered sacrifices until all the people had finished leaving the city. Then the king said to Zadok, Take the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the Lord's eyes, he will bring me back and let me see it and his dwelling place again. But if he says, I'm not pleased with you, then I'm ready. Let him do to me whatever seems good to him. I think this is fascinating. Here's David running for his life. He takes all the people with him. He's got the two key things that are going to give him legitimacy with the people as God's chosen king. He's got the high priest and he's got the ark of God. And as he's fleed, he then, he then says to them, take it back to the city. Take it back to Jerusalem, knowing very well that Absalom, any minute, is going to storm the city and take hold of those things. And yet David does something fascinating. He, he says, if God has favor on me, he will bring me back and he'll let me see it. But I'm not going to use this as leverage. I'm going to let go of the leverage that I have in this situation. And it's pretty much the only leverage he had left. And, you know, um, whether you're a parent or a sibling or simply a child of your own parents... There are moments of crisis in our relationships. 
In times when we have to show great wisdom or graciousness or courage. And this is one of those moments for David. What is he going to do about his rebellious son who's about to destroy his own kingdom and probably kill him? And he throws himself onto the Lord. He throws himself completely onto the Lord. He's got nothing left except God's favor. Can I encourage you, if you are in that place, to do what David did. If you're in that moment, perhaps in your own family, where you're like, there is such a crisis of relationship here. I just don't know what to do anymore. You may even have leverage that God's saying, you know what, you've got to give that up. Because actually... If it's going to work, we've got to throw ourselves on the Lord. And then as we move on, uh, finally we're going to look at chapter 18. And, uh, and the news uh, of Absalom's demise. Because at the end of, uh, I'm just going to read it briefly, at the end of chapter 18, verse 33 We read this um, as David hears the news that in battle, his son Absalom, who has brought, who has brought fear and terror into his own kingdom, into his kingly family, has actually been killed. And he says, and it says this: the king was shaken. He went up to the room over the gateway and wept. And as he wept. He said, oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, if only I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son. A bit later after this, uh, Joab, the king's commander, comes to him and he's like, Joab is the one who has killed Absalom. And he says to David, I don't get you. (laughs) What's going on? The people that you hate, the people that, sorry, the people that hate you, you seem to love. And the people that love you, you seem to hate. You don't even honor the men that have fought for you. Like, he's just like perplexed by David's broken heart and weeping over this son that has completely rejected him, completely come against him. He's just so perplexed. And yet, I think there's something here in David's heart that David has caught a glimpse of. And that is the compassion of a father. I don't know. Maybe it was in this whole, this whole story with David, Bathsheba, and, and then the way that the Lord gave them a son after taking their first one. You know, we don't have time to look at it now, but God gives David a glimpse of what true compassion looks like, that it often looks completely crazy. That it looks risky. We sing a song about reckless love. And that's, although, although God is never careless, there is a sense in which God just, he just baffles us the way he throws his love on us. And he risks everything for relationship. And David, here, his compassion towards his son Absalom never stops being David's dear child. How do we do this? Like, for those of us who, you may have grown up kids or kids who are just like, just cannot say a good word about you. 
And I want to recognize that's very real for so many today. There is just division often in families and children who hurt us, whether they're young or older. How do we, how do we capture God's capacity for, to forgive? It's such, such a challenge not to put limits on, God's, on, on the forgiveness that we could give if we could receive that from God. But equally, as rebellious children ourselves, it's enormously encouraging, guys. I want to just, just say and finish with this. You may have ran away from God. You may be here today doing the stuff and everything, but deep down you just, you just feel ashamed of, what, of the things you've done, of the things you've said, the way that you've rebelled against God. Because we all do. And you may believe that God just won't forgive you. Why would he? That would be crazy. And yet God doesn't put limit on his love and forgiveness. He is so gracious. Like David, God the Father weeps for his children who have rejected him. And he never stops pursuing us. I want to invite you today... If that's you, especially if you feel like, you know what, I just, I'm not sure about this church thing. Perhaps you have been away for a while and you're, you're here today and you're thinking, is this really worth it? Is God really for me? I want to invite you to come and experience the love that the Father has for you this morning. Because all the words in the world, it's not going to help to know the touch of the Father. So, um... I'm just going to ask, just ask you to stand if you wouldn't mind for me. Just a few more minutes. We got a sense as we were praying beforehand that there may be also just a disappointment that some have in God. And, and at the root of so much of what we've been talking about this morning is, will we trust him? Will we trust him when everything's falling apart in our families? Um, Lise, you, uh, can, I, can you come and share that picture you had before? That would be fantastic. So the picture was of someone with a really long, tall ladder, one of those sort of extendy ones that would reach up onto a second or third story. Um, and they had the ladder... Um, really in their grip but they were walking up and down the outside of the building not actually knowing where to go and I felt like the Lord's what what I heard was that um, he was just saying take the step just take the step you don't have to know exactly everything about Mm -hmm. the next step but just take the one step and Mm -hmm. I I think Eric actually gave the um, verse earlier but in Psalm 86 Verse 11, the Passion Translation says, Teach me more about you, about how you work and how you move, so I can walk onward in your truth. And I think as Rob has mentioned, you know, God is faithful and he is steadfast and his truth doesn't change, his love doesn't change. Mm. So take the step, not because you know where it's next going to go, but because God is good and God is faithful and he will lead you. So let's just pray. Let's invite the Spirit to come. And even as we do this, can I invite you, if you know you, you, you would like some prayer this morning, uh, maybe you know God's on your case. Uh, can you just, let's, let's do this now, guys. Do come forward.
We'd love to pray for you. Um, but we're just going to have our eyes closed. We're just going to wait on the Lord. Don't worry about what others might think. No one's going to be bothered. But Lord, we, we want to submit our hearts to you again this morning. Let's just invite him to come by his presence. Lord, your word can feel heavy at times. But I thank you, Holy Spirit, that in, in your hands there is life as you work to apply this word to our hearts. So bring life this morning, Holy Spirit. Bring healing, wholeness, shalom. Thank you, Lord. So folks, even as we're praying, if you know you need some prayer, come forward. We'd love to pray for you. Mm. Particularly, I just want to pray for those of you who, if you're here this morning and you just know uh, there's been a rebellion against God. That's the only way I can put it. It's like, you know what, I just, I've just said things, I've turned away. And I need to just come and give up again before God. Just, I just want to pray for you this morning. You don't, I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray this with me. Lord God, I am sorry. I've, I've, I've done those things and I've said those things and I've, my heart's gone cold towards you and I want to come back to you this morning, Lord. Forgive me. Give me a new heart towards you. Show me how to walk with you again. Thank you, Lord. We receive your grace and your forgiveness again, Lord. We receive your love. I pray, Holy Spirit, now you would just touch our hearts with your love. Let's just wait on him. I might just ask, Anna, would you mind just coming and leading us? But let's just stay in this place. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your presence here. Thank you for your spirit. Let's just stay in this place just a moment longer. I also want to say, acknowledge some of the things we've been talking about this morning. Very sensitive. And if you know that you'd like someone to pray for you, and perhaps some of those, it might be to do with some of these sensitive things, you, you need to do that in a way that honors that and guard your heart in that. But, but please, let me encourage you not to just let it lie, to share that with someone that you feel comfortable sharing it with, to invite them to pray with you, to remind yourself that actually we are all God's children. And there is nothing that shocks him. So as we finish up this morning, let me just pray a blessing over us. Lord, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your word, for your deep love for us. 
Lord, I pray a blessing over us today that you would guard our hearts and our minds, that you would put your deep peace in us, Lord, as we go, as we, as we share and we talk now, as we eat together, as we fellowship. Lord, I pray that you would just in, infuse your spirit within us as a community. And uh, we thank you, Lord, again. You are so good. You're so kind to us. We bless you, Lord. Amen.